The solid gold revolving door is, as the name implies, a particularly lucrative career passage between the highest halls of public and corporate power. In Robert Rubin's case, the door was platinum. Few, if any, in American history have profited from their time in government as directly and immediately as President Clinton's Treasury Secretary. Yet a sycophantic press never saw anything untoward in Rubin's cashing in so shamelessly, at least until it could no longer ignore his role in the destruction of our economy. In fact, Rubin was depicted frequently as something of a martyr in his service to the nation under President Clinton. Profiles emphasized this former chair of Goldman Sachs, where he previously earned mega-millions, commuting to New York to see his wife and making do with an expensive suite at Washington's landmark Jefferson Hotel for six and a half years, where he reportedly dined almost every night. And, of course, he was part of Time's so-called Committee to Save the World. So it was that when Rubin jumped directly from Treasury Secretary to a $15 million a year job at Citigroup, a conglomerate made legal thanks to Rubin's deregulatory efforts, he received what amounted to a free pass for such a shameless money grab. Who could blame him, right? After his time slumming in the political trenches and indulging his liberal and civic instincts, went the storyline, Rubin had been released to return to the challenging and exciting world of high finance from whence he came. That work, in a conciliary position created especially for him, was described by Rubin and others as a challenge to his skills and intellect. The New York Times said he was City's resident sage, rather than simply an opportunity to amass even greater wealth. Rubin's own 2003 memoir endorses this view. Four years after leaving the White House to be a top player at what was then the world's biggest financial services company, he described his new job as a learning opportunity and creative challenge, rather than as a platform for plunder. Working in the financial sector would also give me an opportunity to stay current, to have the knowledge and insight that come from being engaged, Rubin wrote in his memoir. That would help provide a basis for my involvement with the public policy issues I cared about and make my efforts to contribute to them more valuable. While he does allow that he is a reasonably commercial person who wanted to do something that would be financially rewarding, he does not acknowledge that jumping from Treasury to a spot just below CEO of the world's biggest financial services company could be perceived as a payoff for services rendered. Rubin would earn more than $115 million at Citigroup before leaving the wrecked company in early 2009. Even if he were a saint, wouldn't he want to explain how he avoided abusing such an obvious conflict of interest? And if not Rubin himself... How could those who gave the book such flattering reviews manage to so blithely ignore the obligation to at least rationalize it? Similarly ignored is that the massive and historic banking deregulation that occurred on his watch made the conglomerate's existence legal and seemed designed to directly multiply Citigroup's profitability. While it did ensure the corporation's early profits, the new law also ensured its ultimate demise when Citigroup gagged on its surfeit of toxic derivatives, although that day of reckoning came five years after the memoir's publication. As noted earlier, creating the largest financial conglomerate in the world from the stock swap merger of Citibank and Travelers Insurance depended on two key pieces of legislation approved during the Clinton years at Rubin's urging. The first was the Financial Services Modernization Act, FSMA, 
which gutted the historic Glass-Steagall Act and allowed Citigroup to become a sprawling leviathan, so giant that in the fall of 2008 it was deemed too big to fail by a federal government that rushed to guarantee its more than $300 billion in so-called toxic assets. And later, the Commodity Futures Modernization Act, CFMA, which explicitly prevented the kind of regulation that could have saved Citigroup from the short-sighted avarice of its executives and directors. Although Rubin was already ensconced at Citigroup when the CFMA was signed into law, he pushed for the legislation when he was Treasury Secretary and continued to support the efforts of his successor Larry Summers to get it passed into law. When Clinton was asked on April 18, 2010, by ABC News' Jake Tapper if he got bad advice from Rubin and Summers on financial deregulations, Clinton replied, On derivatives, yeah, I think they were wrong, and I think I was wrong to take it. Astonishingly, although there was a framed copy of the pen Clinton used to sign FSMA prominently displayed in the Citigroup executive offices, neither watershed law is discussed in Rubin's memoir, an astounding omission of his historic role not noted in any major review of the book. These acts are what directly enabled the chicanery that came to dominate the activities of financial corporations, with Citigroup leading the charge to insolvency and devastation of the world economy.